This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. everyone welcome into another episode of kentucky daily a daily podcast covering your university of kentucky wildcats i'm sean smith joined by Derek terry Derek, it's our most popular day of the week it's because analytics tell us that it actually said it when i logged in this morning friday most popular day on kentucky daily and it's because it's mailbag friday again it is we got another loaded mailbag um quite a few questions we'll try to keep it around 45 minutes or so not go too much longer than that but yeah always a day that you and i both certainly like it's a fun way to interact and the questions are always pretty good so some absences today it looks like from the mailbag don't have a few of our long time guys who uh who send us stuff so hopefully they'll get back to that soon but uh, the ones that we do have we, we were skimming them before we started uh some very good talking points today i think this will be a good episode Absolutely. And before we get into the mailbag, let's just touch on a couple of things that's happened since we recorded. Obviously, this morning, the news is Bill Self has joined John Calipari in the lifetime contract category uh, on the heels of Roy Williams announcing his retirement. And I don't really know what to make of it, Derek, considering that Kansas has kind of been under the, I guess, the focal point of the NCAA and all the FBI scandal and everything that's been going on. We still have no idea what comes of that. But it kind of just feels like what we talked about yesterday, and Self is obviously younger than the other guys that we've discussed, but we talked about how the end of an era at some point is going to happen when it comes to the Blue Bloods with Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, Carolina. And I don't know if it was kind of just a an appreciate, appreciation from Kansas of what Self has done there after you lose a legend at North Carolina to retirement. I don't really know, but I saw that news this morning. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. It's almost like, you know, they've obviously been charged with the by the NCAA with some level one violations, but you know, those punishments haven't come down. But it looks to me, I, have you seen? I've not seen the contract to know if there's a clause in there that protects the school or protects him. Either way, but you know, Bill Self has been there since what oh four something like that, long time. Yeah. Uh, when Roy left, yeah, yeah, he's been very successful and. It seems like a strong commitment, perhaps. Like I'm just trying to think the recruiting aspect, because which they they've bounced back pretty well. They actually just signed a kid that was going to Louisville, uh, Bobby Pettiford, who got out of that letter of intent. But they've done a pretty good job uh, still this year's class, anyway. But I could imagine that that might have been kind of a dark cloud hanging over the program, trying to get new kids in, not knowing what kind of violations uh, you would have. But to me, it's, it's a sign of a commitment and. I was surprised to see, Sean, how close in age Self and Calipari are because I felt like Calipari was a lot older than Bill Self, but they're just four years apart. But, you know, he gets this lifetime deal too. And, I mean, at his age, you could think he's, I would say, almost certainly has another decade to go. 
uh, Bill Self, that is. So still big news, yeah. You, you think it was in response in any way to, to Roy Williams retiring? I think the timing fits that it was. But it's probably something that they've considered doing as well. I mean, you, you look back at the, the timing of Cal's lifetime contract was after the UCLA thing, just a day or so after Kentucky lost an NCAA tournament. I think when you get to a certain point, you're going to start to see this and stuff when it, you have coaches who have been in place a long time. Would you give Mark Stoops a uh, lifetime contract? For what he's done at Kentucky? Yes. Now, did I agree with the deal when Mitch did it a few years ago and all that? No, but I think that that's kind of what built loyalty, though, right, when it comes to Stoops. Yeah. It, it's a completely different situation because Stoops is still a young coach, first job and doing things at a program who's never done things like this. So, yeah, I would give Mark Stoops a lifetime contract today. Yeah, Even Mark's if he had back-to-back six and six seasons, I'd still give Mark Stoops a lifetime contract. Yeah, so he'll be 54 when the season starts. He turns 54 in July. Um, he's just, I would say – I don't know how long his current contract runs through, I guess the next few years. I would say it wouldn't be that crazy, though, by the time this contract's up if they did that. He wouldn't be that far off from Bill Self's age, uh, but – I don't know. Football if he can gets be to ten years at UK. He's staying long. He's staying lifetime. Well, he's almost there. A couple more. Uh, no, I was just kind of was thinking of him today when I saw that. Obviously, Cal already has one. Fans aren't loving it. That's why I was just kind of wondering if you know UK took a step back one season under Stoops or whatever. If just I don't know. Well, let's I think like it'd be self's, smart. Self's so. contract just extends one year each time when it's up, right? Is that how it goes? I believe so, yeah. So, like, I mean, obviously, I mean, if you can always fire someone if something happens. I mean, there's there's terms in there, Derek, where you could just say, hey, that's it. You know, you've lost a couple of straight years here. This has happened. You've embarrassed the program. There's always ways to get out of things. But uh, one more note, too. UK baseball obviously had a rough outing last night at Mississippi State. Uh, tough situation for a young pitcher to go into. Uh, first, I think, is it their first road loss of the season? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because that's only the fourth game they've played on the road. That's right. But, I mean, we'll see where they go from here. That's a tough place to play. Tough program. A very good program at Mississippi State. They'll obviously be back in action again tonight. If I'm I believe gonna... this one's on the network, too. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. So, some uh, maybe a good showing from them tonight. Uh, still, Derek, I still think that they have some potential to – to compete and stuff here down the stretch of SEC play. They do. I wasn't that – I think they're going to struggle on most Friday nights against really good pitching because I said it on a few episodes earlier back when we were talking about baseball. They just have a lot of guys who, one, just being frank, like haven't really performed all that well in the SEC, and then, two, a lot of guys hadn't hadn't even had opportunities yet to face SEC pitching. So I think against the top-tier arms you're going to see in the league. Cause I think the kid last night, McLeod – I believe he gets he's kind of like that top 35ish range for draft prospects so he's one of the best kids you could face and he he looked like it the parts that I watched last night it was very tough for UK especially the middle of the order really struggled last night but shouldn't be as difficult tonight I could see them putting up some runs and they got the stud on the mound full stop so would be big to get down there and just get a win uh they just need to avoid sweeps but you're right about Hagen now um let's touch on that real quick just for the baseball fans who like this uh, I reported a few days ago, unfortunately, that Mason Hazelwood, who was a Saturday starter and a senior, is out for the season um, with a UCL injury. I believe that will require surgery, so he'll be out for quite a while, probably close to a year rehabbing. Um, 
But that p- kind of puts you in a spot if you're looking long-term at the baseball program. Ryan Hagenow, I was pretty certain, was, was going to be a weekend starter next year. And that gives him an opportunity this year to go through this SEC grind. Um, I think it will be difficult for UK to win some games that he pitches just because he's not proven yet that he can go really deep into games. He's actually never got past the fourth inning in terms of recording in and out, which is tough whenever you're in the SEC because it puts a lot of uh, – just a lot of it stretches your bullpen out a lot. So he'll probably go to the Sunday spot in the rotation if I had to guess. But if you're looking long-term, Stubb, Lee, who pitches on Sundays, and then Hagen out, I mean, that could be a rotation next year. And all these guys are going to get experience this season. So if you're looking for a silver lining, it's very unfortunate what happened to Mason. But if you're thinking about the program overall, it, it might put you in a better spot down the road. So uh, we're thinking about Mason, though, quick recovery to him. He's a Kentucky kid who's done a – pretty good job in his Kentucky career. So that was really tough news. And I do think it definitely hurts the team for this year. So you think they'll move him to Sunday? I do. Yeah. yeah. I think, you I don't think want with to stretch your bullpen out on the opening night of a weekend. Oh series. no, no. And I think just with the timing, Hagen, I was used to throwing in the midweek. This was a Thursday game. They moved it up because uh, of Easter on Sunday. So Cole Stubb stayed in his normal spot on a Friday night. But yeah, I think going to next weekend, he'll, he'll move to that Sunday spot and, that, that's not that rare in college baseball for a Sunday guy to not go very deep in games. If you have a guy who can, that's that's huge. But you definitely want to have your Friday night guy get you through about seven innings, uh, seven innings most nights. And Saturday guy, too, if he can do that, that's great. So either way, uh, they'll need to come up with a win tonight. You just got to avoid sweeps in the SEC, especially where they are right now. If they can avoid sweeps, they should be in a pretty good spot um, towards the end of the year to have a chance to get down to Hoover. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump in to the mailbag. We just wanted to touch on those two topics before we get started. First question is going to come from Bill. He said, realistic options for 2022 UK class besides Sky Clark, Bradley, maybe George, anybody else? Uh, you think it's too early to tell right now, Derek? Maybe a lot of attention going on with shaping out this roster right now before they really start getting going. I expect offers to kind of pick up when we get into the late spring, early summer. Yeah, I guess a note I would say about 22 when I was looking at this the other day is I wouldn't say they're the odds-on favorite. I mean, maybe Bradley, but I've heard that they're kind of backing off him a little bit. Um, besides that, you don't really see anybody that they're just like a favorite for in the top 10. Keontae George, I'm going by the 24-7 sports composite. I think Keontae George is a rumored guy who might, you know, Jay Lucas might offer. He's out of Texas, but – you know, right now his crystal ball is on the pro. So I think it's going to be a lot of thorough kind of feeling guys out to see what, if they're actually going to go to college. And if not, then I don't know. It just kind of knocks everybody else down. But looking at this list, like in the top 10, it's really hard to say. Scott Clark's at 12, but I don't know at this point, Sean, who some of those guys might be. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how much Cal, if this is a really good experience for him this year with the transfer portal. I mean, Maybe they're going to get in a spot where they only take three or four guys a year from the high school ranks. You, you don't want to get in a situation like you said where you put, invest all this time in a recruit and then they go the G League route or something else. I mean, you you kind of don't want to be put in that situation because if you are, you've put so much time into a recruitment that you could have put elsewhere. So I think you could get to a – we're used to seeing Cal obviously not offer guys until he gets a, a first-hand look at them. Obviously in AAU – something along those lines, that's kind of slowed this process down a little because they've not been able to get a look. So kind of waiting to see. I I think that in-person 
evaluations will return this summer. I, to some extent, I do, Derek. I just think that's going to have to when it comes to recruiting across the board in collegiate sports. So I would expect offers to kind of be pumping out when that happens. But even when that does happen, I still think that you might see Cal and staff, and maybe not just UK, maybe other schools kind of change their approach and wait a little bit longer before they commit. They want to see that these kids are committed to going to school before they get too deep into recruitment, in my opinion. It's a really good point. I mean, it's just, especially the in-person evaluation thing. I mean, it's, they need to get back to that for sure. I mean, these kids didn't get that exposure last year. Right. I mean, understandably so, but I think as we continue to move forward with the advancements and things like that in terms of COVID, um, I think yeah, it's probably time and, to get these coaches back on the road or in some kind of setting. Like I believe football, at least one of the proposed uh, – I think I have this right. One of the proposed scenarios basically is just like having a certain amount of kids be able to come to campus to work out, Yeah, to be able to see them in person. It keeps it smaller, but coaches might prefer that actually, Sean, to have, you know, uh, for football anyway, where you don't have all those kids there, just the ones you're serious about. So I think they got to do something though. It can't just be – you know, watching on TV or whatever. These coaches want to get in person, see these guys. And I'm with you. I think that's pretty certain to come back, uh, I believe, June 1st. And while we're on recruiting, just one note, Reed Shepard, I know it's not 2022, picks up an offer from Texas A&M. I know Iowa was the first big power – it was the only power five at the beginning to to offer him a scholarship. But now that an SEC school, Texas A&M, you got two power fives now, two different conferences, I expect that recruitment to kind of blow up over the next few months and into the summer. And then we'll just have to wait and see exactly how Kentucky follows that. But now that there's a team in your conference and two power fives, I think all coaches pay attention to that a little more now. Yeah, I do too. That was, that one kind of came out of nowhere to me. I mean, I didn't really, not that I know every single school who's recruiting Reed, but Texas A&M, I don't really know what the connection might've been there. I mean, they might've just been sending out some 2023 offers. Uh, But yeah, congrats to Reed. He's on a, that will not be his last no. uh, big offer that he gets. And this will be the summer that he blows up. Going yeah. into junior year, this is where it takes off. Uh, next question comes from David Wood. What's up with the slow play Cal is doing at point guard position right now? Does he believe in what he's got coming in, Hickman or Mintz at point guard next season? Or is there someone else, hush, hush, Cal gotten already on the transfer portal front, no reclass person, right? There guy. I just don't think that Cal's going to go into next season with just Devin Askew, Davion, if Davion Mintz comes back, and Nolan Hickman. I, I don't. I just I feel like that there's someone out there that maybe that he's targeted that, that, that they want. Don't know who that is. Maybe the person's not in the portal yet, or maybe it's kind of behind the scenes going quietly like we saw uh, with Kellen Grady's recruitment. I mean, before we knew anything about Kellen Grady, he was signed to Kentucky. Like, there was no he might commit or there's an, an announcement. He signed and a press release got sent out. <laughs> so we don't know. But I just uh, – I watched Nolan Hickman a little bit last night on TV. I, I do think I, I do think he's an upgrade at point guard. But I don't know if, they're, if they want to commit to – to that, I don't know if the, maybe they want another option. Obviously, if Mintz comes back, you can you have that option. What are your thoughts on it? I think, yeah, I think he's going to get someone from the portal. I just don't think they're in there yet. I think I think the question is the word slow play. I don't. I saw today. Um, I forget the kid's name. He follows me. Uh, he's an analytics guy. He's still in college, I think. 
but he was basically saying that like it's it's very slim right now the point guard market in the portal and I think you will see more guys go in there, more options, and I think that is where UK will ultimately end up with someone. So I don't see any kind of reclass option for anybody. I don't think they're going to do that. Pretty sure Scott Clark's going to stay next year um, in his original class, 2022. So I think the point guard, yeah, I think I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, who knows what's being worked out and what decisions are still being made. I mean, what, what's the number? We got an update. Is it 1,200 now in the portal? Something like that. I mean, there are gonna there are guys every day every day who go in there you don't expect, and uh, I think there's still time for some big names to go in there. And then you add in the draft stuff too, man. Like, I just think this process is gonna play out for so long that it might still be a while. So I, I wouldn't panic if if people are getting panicky. Like, uh, there have been some good options that went in that perhaps they could have looked at and they they chose not to, which tells me that you know there's probably something. They probably have their eye on some kind of situation and hope that they can get it done if it comes to fruition. Yeah, I, I think that they're obviously working on that as we speak. I mean, they're certainly not just sitting around uh, without trying to figure out what they're going to do. I think they have some options uh, just going to play out and see what happens. But talking about the slow play, it is different, right? I mean, it's not De'Aaron Fox. It's not John Wall. It's not these other guards that they've had. They're explosive. Uh, it has been different the last few years. I mean, Hagens wasn't an above-the-rim guard that you're used to seeing in Kentucky. Hagens wasn't – I mean, he had – I remember one dunk that Hagens had against Texas A&M, and that was the only highlight play that I ever thought he made really above the rim. But you're used to, for what, the first six, seven years at UK, you had a point guard that could just cram on you. And it's it's not been that the last few years. It hasn't. Um, I think we got a few other questions about potential targets, right? So, yeah. I guess I can wait. To, uh, want to move into those first? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, so we'll, let's just go ahead and go to Ben's questions because they're they're right along the same lines. Are we starting to think there is a chance Cal just rides it out with Hickman and Askew? I kind of wish no. we would add Richmond just so we would have at least one lockdown defender on the perimeter. So let's start with that question first, Derek. I I still don't see that they're just going to ride it out with Hickman and Askew. I. I wouldn't feel very good. Obviously, I do think Hickman is an upgrade, and I think they would be better. But I don't want to get to a situation to where you have to rely on Nolan Hickman or bust. Like, if Nolan Hickman comes in and is better than whoever else they bring in, then wow. But they didn't want to – the reason they went and got Mintz is because they were concerned about giving the keys to ask you right away. And I, I, maybe they're going to be hesitant, hesitant to do the same thing with Hickman. Yeah, I feel pretty comfortable saying that Cal does not have a scenario where they're they're going to end up with having like having to play Askew. I don't. I mean, if Askew ends up playing some point next year, I don't think it's going to be because he he just didn't have any other options. And of course, people are wondering too why a lot of us are talking like that about Askew. Sorry to cut you off. No, I I didn't want to let it go. We're not really hammering on Devin Askew. We're just saying. They cannot get into a spot next year where they're relying on Devin Askew. I'm sorry. If Askew gets to a point where he's just that good and he forces his way into the lineup at point, then like it's the best case for everybody, I would say. that he, As as critical as this sounds, Devin Askew's play, and of course Cal went away from it those last few games. Like Devin Askew's play did not warrant 30 minutes a game this year, it which did. is why he ended up playing, but they just didn't really have any any other options. If he gets to a point where he's playing so well and he deserves those minutes, and that's that's great for everyone. But I don't see that quite being the case yet. Maybe maybe his junior year, something and, like and that. Sophomore but, year doesn't mean just instant 
improvement, right? I mean, Quade Green came back and it didn't it transfer to seven or eight games. So, like that, that's the thing that you don't want to just rely on. You want to make sure you have other options. And what I saw from Nolan Hickman last night is uh, I like how he plays with a pace. Sure, I mean, he didn't score a bunch of points, had four points. I think he had nine assists. Uh, but he did do some things when he when he wanted to play fast that stood out to me. But I, I do think that they're going to, to add another piece. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, is it someone in the portal now? We don't know. Yeah, and Ben was asking about Kadiria Richmond um, from Syracuse in the portal, and I agree. Uh, just from watching the highlights that I did on him, I, I agree he would have been a very good perimeter defender. Um, and there are some people who think he's a very good NBA draft prospect who could have fit. I mean, I don't think he was much of a shooter. Again, for them to not even really entertain that kid who was a fairly highly rated recruit, did some good things at Syracuse. That kind of makes me think they got their eye on somebody else or some other situation to not even entertain that. But I agree with you about Richmond, Ben. He is, he's a good player, um, especially a very good defender. I was thinking, you know, him and Damian Collins you know, on the floor, the kind of length that you could have would be interesting if someone got by their man. I mean, I think it would just be a tough path if you were guarding man-to-man and you had to try to get by Kadiri Richmond and then you had uh, Damian Collins waiting for a potential block. I mean, that's, that's tough for an offensive player. Um, let's go to his second question, Sean. Ben says, any chance Scott might be back on the table? We both said, well, let me finish this question. I mean, heck, things move super fast and quietly crazy. I just know we need at least one more point guard option. I mean, I'd love to see Cal finally use all 13 spots for once. Yeah, just like we said earlier, I don't I don't think Scott is going to be back in the mix for this. I think he'll take a – or Cal, I mean. I think Cal will definitely take a, yeah, a transfer, a more veteran guy who has been there and done that. I just think – don't you think now, Sean, with, with the way the transfer is going to be, like you don't have – unless it's like a – if you're talking about a reclass like Jamal Murray or – was it like Carl Anthony Towns? I think he was a reclass, right, back in the yeah. day? Yeah. So, like, if you get a kid like that, then, like, yeah, it's fine to use him as a reclass. But three-class guys like Askew, I would even say Ashton Hagens to an extent. Johnny Juzang, these guys, like I don't think you'll have to use a spot on those kind of reclass guys anymore if you can go get an experienced veteran and a good player from the portal. And you don't want to pull from your 22 class, right? Yeah. Like now that we just talked about, we opened this talking about the 22 class and how we don't know who they've identified with evaluations. So if Sky, like he has said for months now, that his plan is to stay in 22, and I know I was really plugged in on that recruitment in the fall. I haven't plugged in on it as much because it's so long until he gets to Kentucky. If he stays in 22, that I'll get more into it and stuff in the coming weeks and months. But I kind of hope Kentucky doesn't pull him just from a standpoint that that's your, your piece to build around in that class right there at the point guard spot. If you can go get someone from the portal who has experience, I think trying to fix – what I thought was one of the – I actually thought it was the biggest issue, even more so than shooting, was lack of point guard play on this past team. I would want to fix that kind of with experience. I, don't, I wouldn't want to take my chance on a reclass, and I'd rather just let Sky stay 22. And let's say Nolan Hickman or somebody comes back off this team, then you've kind of got the perfect blend there of experience coming back at a point guard position. Do they add another portal guy next year and then bring Sky in who could play one or two? I think that's the per- perfect scenario. Yeah, I'm scrolling these questions, Sean. We've got quite a few point guard questions, so we'll just stay on this topic. Uh, this one comes from Tanner. Tanner says, if Zagorowski hits the portal, which he's talking about uh, Creighton's guard, he says, if Zagorowski hits the portal, then transfers or then commits to Kentucky, does that solve our point guard problems? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And, and that's, I know you do. I believe he was the second team <laughs> All-American last year, and he might be that again this year. Uh, you can't really get so, too many better guys than that. So okay. we're watching – what day did Gonzaga and Creighton play? Was Sunday. That? Sunday. So we're, I'm sitting there watching Gonzaga and Creighton, and Derek texts me. And this is Derek's guy. <laughs> like this is – and I agree with Derek 100%. I agree with you. You texted me the other day and you said, that's the point guard. If he goes in the portal and Kentucky can get him, that's the point guard. And you're you're spot on. He's a very talented scorer. Um Started a lot of games, 6'2", 180, can shoot the ball well. I just think if he's out there on the floor with you as a – not only as a distributor, but as a guy who can also knock down shots, like he's just, I just think he's the best option. Maybe someone um, – what is the kid's name from Oral Roberts? Amos a- a- I don't I don't want to say his last name. Uh, Max, the little, the little guard-like. He gives me vibes of someone like C.J. McCollum when he was in college, like that kind of small school guy, but you just think like they're way too good to be playing at that school and they have like a professional future. If he were to go in the portal, then maybe, I mean, I think he'd have everybody on him. But Zagorowski having that Big East experience, um, like I said, second team All-American, I'm not trying to draw too many connections. I just happened to, I saw that he was from Massachusetts and I know Callan Grady was as well. So like maybe those two have crossed paths at some point. I'm not saying that would factor into his decision at all. Uh, it is worth noting probably that Zagorowski uh, tweeted about whoever had the rumors that he was going on the portal that they weren't true yeah. and that any decision that came would come from him, which didn't sound to me like he totally closed the door on some kind of announcement happening at some he point didn't. from him. Um, but, no, if he went into the portal, that's – I mean, you're talking about a first team, second team. Yeah, I'm looking at his profile right now. His sophomore year at Creighton, he was a second team All-American. So with NCAA tournament experience, yeah, I mean you're not gonna find many, many better guys than this. So an honorable mention, All American by the by the AP. So and, and that's bunch where of I'm assists from talking about waiting it out. I mean you don't want to wait so you don't want to pass by an option if there's a clear guy that you identify, but at the same time you don't just want to jump at the first name that goes into the portal. Exactly. I mean yeah. if you if they had jumped at Justin Powell, they wouldn't have got Kellen Grady. In my opinion, I don't think they would have. I mean, maybe so, Kentucky fans would have been fine yeah. with that, but just of the two, I take Grady because there's more. There's more body of work to look at when it comes to Grady. You've got four years of Grady to ten games of Justin Powell. So yeah, to answer Tanner's question, when you factor in that Askew will still be there, and that I, I still think Mintz will come back, and then you also have Hickman, like I would say yes. I think your point guard problems are solved because he he would play the certainly dominate the minutes at point if you were to come here. And then the last, I think the last point guard question I see is from Jason. And I believe he's talking about Ty Ty Washington because they played yesterday against Nolan Hickman's team. He says, Washington outplayed Hickman today. Is Kentucky going to be more involved with him? I'm going to say no, just because these other options we've talked about. I think it's going to be a transfer portal point guard. I think so too. I think that they'll, they'll stay with the transfer portal when it comes to filling that spot out because not really sure. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix.
for how much Washington would play as a freshman. I mean, obviously over the guys coming back, Hickman. Uh, I mean, Kentucky's pretty committed to Hickman, obviously. I mean, that was a guy that they identified quietly, identified, mm-hmm. and got a, pretty much a commitment from before any of us even knew it happened. So, and then you throw in Devin Askew as of right now returning and whatever they ha- happens with Davion Mintz. Uh, are there any more point guard questions or moving on to a different topic? That That is all that I have seen as I scroll through here. Yeah, we had a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's where everyone's mind is, trying to figure out. Yeah. And I, you know, you get Grady in the fold this week, so I understand that you know, the biggest press need at this point, I would agree. It's, it's the point guard spot. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Well, let's just transition here to the post since we have one from L. Thornberry. What's the chances we play Collins and Big O together next year? Cram people with two bigs, and I can stop hearing the term modern basketball. <laughs> Sounds like Thornberry is wanting this. He wants to see this. Uh, and and I've talked about that, right, that you can get away with doing that as long as you don't overcrowd the floor with people that can't shoot. Like yeah. I'm fine with that. I am perfectly fine with playing Damian Collins and Oscar Shoeboy together as long as you don't have somebody standing there at the three that can't shoot if you left them alone in the gym. Like, that's that's the problem that I have with it. Uh, give you a shooter, give you a guard that can break down and make things happen, and, and I'm fine with playing two bigs at times. And I think we will see that. I mean, I think Cal will – well, I'll say this. I think how much we see those two together will definitely depend on who else comes back, who who they might add potentially, who knows, from the portal. Maybe a kid will come in there that they think is too good to pass up. And if they want to come here, then maybe they'll move on it. But um, I would say, and I know we get a question about it here later, I would say on the on the uh, rare chance that Isaiah Jackson comes back or on the more likely scenario between the two anyway, if Keon Brooks came back, I think I think you would see one of those guys start over Collins, of course. So I think I think I think in my mind you want Collins coming off the bench to at least start the year. If he proves that he needs to be more than that, then great. But at least starting the year, I think I would have them coming off the bench. But I do think you'll see them a little bit. I think Cal will experiment a lot, especially next year when you have a more normal schedule. You can kind of afford to do things like that. But um, I know Collins shoots it a lot, and that doesn't mean it's not a trend like the college. But I mean, a lot of high school guys shoot threes. Pretty much everybody does, I guess, if you're the main focus of your team. But like, maybe he's a better shooter than we know at this point. I just know that maybe he's kind of been pigeonholed at this point as a as a defensive guy, more at least from what I've seen, he's he's labeled more as a defender than he is an all-around player. And that's my thing on Grady. I don't want to see him get to Kentucky and just turn into just a shooter. Yeah, I think that that's that's my one thing that I hope Cal really doesn't do. With Grady. you think Cal does that with guys? You think he kind of labels them as as something? And yeah, you, I do. I think that that kind of was the biggest thing, and, and not not the, obviously not the biggest thing that happened with Johnny Juzang. Johnny Juzang wanted to go home, and I mentioned that the other night that Johnny Juzang was not playing over Tyrese Maxey or Emmanuel Quickly. He didn't need to. Did I think that he could have played more in certain games? Yeah, the games that Ashton Hagen's lost his mind in, 
and went crazy with turnovers. I thought that he could have played some and they could have moved IQ or Maxie to the point. But I do think that there's, and we talked about this the other day, those guys that were late additions just to add shooting to the roster, Jamal Baker, Johnny Juzang, those guys were identified as shooters, and I think that they kind of got pigeonholed to an extent, not just by U, by UK and by the staff, but maybe by the fan base too, that that's all that they thought that they brought to the table. I don't want to see that happen to Grady because when you watch Grady's game, there's more to it. Like he, the the cutting, the movement, the backdoor cuts, the things like that. I want to see Grady be like a slasher and a, a spot-up shooter. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, that's that's what Cal sold him on. If you listen to his comments, I mean, it was playing the way Jamal Murray, Tyler Hero, those guys did. I wouldn't label any of those guys as just shooters. They were all around uh, terrific, uh, especially Murray, just terrific offensive and Monk. Just really good offensive players. Um, just just staying on Steph Curry and the Davidson connection. What and Steph Curry obviously is the greatest shooter. So yeah. we're not saying that Kellen Grady is going to be Stephen Curry. But what makes Stephen Curry so great? Not just his range. It's his ability to do it off the ball, and it's his ability to do it with the ball. You get dizzy watching that guy run around off the ball. Yeah. Getting open. You can <laughs> The way he works. To go and that's open. what you want to be at the perimeter. You want to be able to do it with the ball, and you want to be able to do it just as efficiently without the basketball. And that's what is and that's the when you talk of guys, Emmanuel quickly is one of the best when you come in terms of talking about this. He was so good mm-hmm. off the ball and then he got to the point that he was really good with the ball. Tyler Hero had the ball in his hands his entire high school basketball career. You know what happened when he got to Kentucky? Didn't know how to work off the ball. But then you saw him running two circle action, three circle stuff, coming off of those double staggers, that floppy action that Cal does, and now you see him doing it in the NBA and making plays, that, that's the one thing I'll say. And I, I've had a lot of conversations with people in recent weeks about Kentucky's offense. And I, I don't entirely hate it. I just hate the way the roster kind of gets constructed at times. Uh, but there's a reason these guys go on to be very good pros. It's because they run a pro set. They they run action and stuff where it, you're you're having to play off of what the defense is doing to you. Do you do you flare? Do you curl? Do you do you pop? Do you pin down? Stuff like that. Uh, they've had guys that have been very good at that that went on to be very successful in the NBA. Keldon Johnson, another guy that they ran that same action for, and I think Kellen Greggy is going to be a guy that you're going to see two circle caught for a lot of times. But I just want to see them get back to playing two and getting the ball downhill and dry, a couple of drives, getting paint touches, and then having guys on the outside that can hit open shots. For sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And you're talking about some NBA guys like – well, not necessarily like Kelton, because I think Kelton had a pretty good freshman year, but saw a mock draft this morning. I believe it was Bleacher Report had, had BJ going in the second round and basically saying that he might buy low on him in hopes that – He'll outperform his college play like some guys from Kentucky have done here recently. So you got to shoot it better. Yeah, just thought that it was a interesting thing. Let, let's do this real quick, Sean. I think I think we only have one football question today. So for Brandon out there who's listening, let's go ahead and get his question out of the way, just so he doesn't have to wait till the very end to get his uh, one football question. Am, am I right on that? I don't see any other football questions. I, I don't see, see any more. I'll, I'll yeah. check. I don't see any DMs either. Yeah. All right. So this is from Brandon. He says Josh Edwards, who of course is my coworker. Put in crystal balls for Gavin Wimpsett, Keontae Goodwin, and Alex Safari to Kentucky. Do you see UK lending all of them? And also, do you know anyone else Kentucky is targeting? I'll let you take that one. Okay. Uh, on Goodwin and Afari, I, I definitely think UK is in a great spot there. Um, and Goodwin, I mean, Goodwin would be 
I guess this will sound hyperbolic. I don't really want it to, but I, my honest opinion, Sean, I think Conte Goodwin will be the best commit they've ever had under Stoops. This is a guy who is legitimate. He is he is Ohio State's top target at tackle. That is confirmed on Ohio State's end from the reporters talk to the staff there. So this is not just some kind of you know talk. I mean, this is, kid is the real deal. Six, seven, three hundred pounds. I mean, he's got a real chance that when Darian Kennard leaves to slide in there and play a lot. I think he's probably a three and done. So I think he would be a just monster get for Kentucky. Alex Safari, yeah, I think I think I've kind of felt like he'd be at UK for a long time. If you were asking me to just put, you know, odds on who I think the next UK commit might be for football, I, he would probably be my top guy. And uh Real quick on Wimsett, it really depends on who you're talking to. I feel like I always know enough to kind of have an educated guess on what some football guys might do, and I really don't know on him. It kind of feels to me like he wants to be at Rutgers, just being totally honest. But I think UK is really – let's put it this way, Sean. At this point in his recruitment, I almost feel like it's more optics than it even is his talent at this point because he's a highly rated kid, but you're battling Rutgers basically to get him. And just – do you get the vibe at all that Rutgers is just such a random school that it's almost like if they're the other school you're talking about, it's almost like at this point it's it's April and it's like he's still deciding, do I want to go play in the SEC for UK, my home state school, or do I want to go to this random school like Rutgers? Like to me, to me, I think his heart might be at Rutgers, to be totally honest. Yeah. So I I know Josh put that in. I know he's got a good source on that. Um but my my take on it is is I definitely don't feel as good about him as the other two. Yeah, and it's just such an odd recruitment that a top one hundred kid's kind of down to the schools that he is. Yeah, very very odd. But two of the three feel really good about. Obviously, uh, Gavin has understood how to get Twitter to kind of <laughs> blow up with just a couple of emojis. Yeah, he he tweeted those eye emojis today, and really, if you go look at that. There are a lot of Rutgers connections. Like a lot of, I saw current players that were tweeting back at Gavin. I mean, he is a he, he's a big recruit for Kentucky. I'll get out, but he is a like monster recruit for Rutgers. Probably bigger Rutgers. for them, yeah. Probably. I mean, Rutgers is recruiting well right now. They got a good class going. I think he's tight with some of those guys. I mean, that's my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be right. I could be wrong. He could still end up at UK, but almost like to an extent, almost like a Wandell situation where kind of got word that he might want to be going somewhere else and the UK has really turned up the heat to try to get him to stay. But I think in his heart, I mean, that's my opinion. That's how I read it. I think, I think Rutgers is still probably the team to beat. But I know um, really good guys who cover UK recruiting that would say otherwise. So just depends on who you want to trust. I just think I'm giving a different angle from it. So we'll see. But Brandon, you, you were the lone man today. wanting to hear a little football talk. So we'll hop back to the other side. Keep talking hoops if you're uh, – I think those are in your DMs now, right, Sean? Yeah, and before we hop into that, I do want to mention that this episode is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, one in Williamsburg. Third location's a little bit delayed, Derek. They're, it's not going to be April 15th. I think it's going to be a little bit later towards the end of the month. Obviously, they're uh, passing inspections, and they're still trying to hire staff. So if you are interested in working at the Butcher's Pub in London, you can visit the Butcher's Pub London Facebook page for more information, or you can visit the butcherspub.com, and you'll get all the information there, menu, options, uh, all three Facebook pages. So I uh, want you all to check that out. Uh, Derek and I are looking to do a show at the Butcher's Pub here at some point in the near future. I know we've been discussing that, so we're looking forward to getting out there, and I'll try that delicious buffalo chicken sandwich. Definitely breaking my diet that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Get out to the Butcher's Pub as always. Um 
great spot. I've only been there once, but I'm looking forward to getting back again. Real quick, Sean, some breaking news, I would say. Um, well, depends on how you determine breaking news. But on the women's side, it looks like Kiki McKinley, who has been a U.K. starter, is going to graduate and be a graduate transfer. So she had announced that she would use that COVID year, but it will not be at Kentucky. So that's one player down from this past season. Yeah, I think uh, Chastity Patterson put her name in the WNBA draft, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah, She'll be a big loss. She's a really good scorer, really good player for Kentucky. So. so next question, moving back to the basketball, it comes from SBD. How much can DA improve over summer in terms of shot range? So obviously talking about Dante Allen, dribble pull up and catch and shoot to a degree not really seen in Cal Air. Is that possible? And then he has a second question, which we'll get to. To me, Dante's improvement needs to just keep modifying, keep changing his offensive style of play just a little bit, get a little bit quicker, maybe be a little better, a lot better off the bounce. You want to be able to get to that 13, 14, 15 footer if you need be, if you get ran off the run off the three point line, because we know that teams are going to try to force him into twos, Derek. That that's what teams are going to try to do to take away his three-point shot as he moves forward in his college career. But as far as catch and shoot, he could end up being one of the best guys they've had. Yeah, he obviously excelled at that this year. I mean, if he was I'd love to see him continue to improve transition too. For sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. And I, I think SBD here is asking the right, the right kind of questions. I mean, he's – for him to stay on the floor more, like I think he's always going to have a role. If it's just a catch-and-shoot guy, if he has days where he's really hitting it, like I think Cal will keep him in there, play him for a while if he's going to ride the hot hand. Um, but to have those days, maybe if he's getting enough minutes and he's not hitting the outside shot, to be able to do a little bit more I think would certainly help him. Um, I can only think of a few – I can't really remember too many dribble pull-ups from him. I know he got to the lane a few times, hit some floaters. I believe he did that against Mississippi State. Then he had some. I mean, he had that game. I think against Auburn, where he drove in and dunked it. I was watching his highlights the other day and totally forgot that that happened. Uh, also, on a on a side note, uh, well, never mind. He's coming up. We'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, but no, I mean, one thing I just don't know how much how much better he can get in terms like. I just wonder how much his knee injury has affected him and how, you know, he's just not going to be the kind of great athlete, I would say. Like, he's not a bad athlete, but he's not going to be the kind of guy that I think will consistently just will his way to the rim and get buckets there. So I don't I don't want to get in that thing. We were just talking about pigeonholing guys. I don't want to get in that spot where I think Dante will only be a catch-and-shoot type three-pointer, a three-point shooter. He's just finished his first full year playing college ball. He didn't play against great high school competition. Like, I think that was pretty eye-opening for him this past year, but – Give or take two more years, Sean. Like I think he could have a very well, well-rounded offensive game. Absolutely, I do too. And does he get to the point, Derek, that he can create off the bounce for other people? Because then you become even more playable if you can put it on the deck and make a play to get someone else's look. You don't have to necessarily get there and make a play yourself at the rim, but can he put it on the deck and create a shot or an opportunity for someone else? I think that would yeah. be a big improvement for his game too. Just to get better putting it on the floor. If, if if you don't have that initial look from three, but transition threes. If you give me a roster next year that has Man. Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, and Davion Mintz, we saw that Davion Mintz in transition was absolute money. Zagorowski. Yeah. You, you give me that <laughs> roster of people. Oh goodness. And I'm gonna be sitting up there in Rupp Arena just 
getting really excited. And we're not even talking like modern basketball offense. We're just talking taking that shot. And Cal, Cal's talked about that, right? That he at this point, this past season, it became shoot the thing instead of turn it over. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. Uh, but you're talking about those offensive possibilities. I mean, and, and, and again, even no matter what uh, Zagorowski decides to do, I mean, it's you're definitely going to have Grady and you're definitely going to have Allen, and I think Mintz will probably come back too. So that's already, I think, a better a better fit there in that regard. So we we're going to talk his way into the portal, aren't we? Because <laughs> what's going to happen? Like yeah, we're going to publish this episode, and then there's going to be news that Zagorowski has gone into the portal, like the other day when we said things were quiet, and then Kellen Grady just, just announced his signature to UK. Yeah, we might get done recording this mailbag and. Nah, it's Friday. You don't see too many news things. You don't see too many positive things come out on Friday. I'll put it that way. Usually the news that comes out on Friday is the news people don't want to be talked about a whole lot. But uh, he also asked about Jacob Toppin, right? He did. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me read that. Uh, yeah, you got it. Yeah, go, we'll go for it. You've got it right there in front of you. Okay, yeah. He, uh, he also asked, can Jacob Toppin develop a dribble pull-up with great accuracy? Elevation, or, yeah, elevation is there, obviously. It is, uh, and he, he excelled coming off those uh, screens, Sean, around that free throw line, rising up and knocking down some shots. The dribble pull-up, I'm not trying to be facetious. Like I think just dribbling better will help Jacob a lot if he's not to play out on the wing because I'd say one of the weaknesses of his game was, was having to put it on the floor. But if you're at the four, you should have to do that quite as much. Um, am I wrong there? I mean, I just I feel like I can remember him not being a great ball handler. He's better. Year. He's a better ball handler than Winning Gabriel was. I'll give him that. Poor, yeah, Winning could not put the ball in the deck. Uh, no, if he did, <laughs> at all. I would probably rather the thing explode than for him to get to a second or third dribble. But if he could do that, the thing that really opened my eyes this season to honestly how bad they were is when they were having to run the pin down action for Jacob Toppin. Now he was good at it. He Against Vandy, he succeeded in that two or three times. That was B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark early in the season. It was Jacob Toppin late in the season, and that was eye-opening to me, and he was good there. So I think that could be a thing for him. And someone talked to me, a couple people talked to me this week, and they were telling me that I've spent a lot of time talking offensively and not defensively. And I, I get it. But Kentucky defensively has not been the issue in the Calipari era over the course of the entire time. It's been the fact that they get teams that cannot shoot the basketball. And even the Nate Sestina, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly team, at one point after the loss to Ohio State and Utah in Vegas, they were historically bad shooting the basketball. They were like one of the worst teams in college basketball. And Maxey didn't end up being a really good three-point shooter at Kentucky. Ashton Higgins wasn't a good three-point shooter. It was Emmanuel Quickly, Nate Sestina, Johnny Juzang in a pinch when they needed him. So... When I'm talking, and, and they were talking kind of necessarily about Jacob Toppin playing the three, Keon playing the three, it's because Toppin's so good defensively. I get that. But when Kentucky has an elite rim protector on the back end, let's say Damian Collins gets to that. Let's see what Oscar Shubway ends up being. They have played and looked elite defensively a lot of times because they had guys who could erase mistakes on the backside. Yeah. So then you could press up with your guards, your one through three, and just and you didn't have to worry about getting beat because you had somebody back there that was going to alter shots. Those are the best Kentucky defensive teams, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I'm just sitting here trying to think, when was like the last Kentucky team that really just 
terrified you with, with guys out on the perimeter that could score. Obviously, it's, you know, every year they've been pretty good defensively, but I'm, I'm just thinking you could go next year to a lineup that truly, like, you know, puts a lot of pressure on you as a defense. Like, this year, there's just there's just were not enough guys that, that scared a defense. I mean, if Dante Allen coming in had to be that kind of guy, obviously against Mississippi State he did well, but, like, Mintz was streaky. He had some games that, you know, he could get hot, but, like, Allen, Grady, I'd just like to see a team that, that worries you a little bit more on the offensive. It's very tough. to. It's almost a little bit like the football stuff we've been talking about with more points being scored. Like, I, I just don't think it's that easy to, to win games when you're having to hold teams to what was didn't they have a stat this year where they had held teams under seventy and kept losing? Yeah, was that the point? Yeah, like you yeah. just they you I think be they lost every game that. that they didn't score seventy at one point, right? It was something like that where it, like they, the defense just yeah just wasn't really the how problem. far are you how far are you stretching teams out like defensively that that's what it comes to on the defensive end you want to stretch defenses out you talk about it in football too right throwing the ball down the field you want to stretch out the defense. Well, in basketball, it's it's the same. You want you can't just have teams pack the pain on you and dare you to take threes. We saw Kentucky this year miss open three after open three after open three. How many times did B.J. Boston this year, Derek, have a three in a situation in the second half of the game wide open and miss it? Uh, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Now, I mean, he hit some late down the stretch in the season, and it wasn't just – Boston, it was a lot of guys missing shots wide open. You you can't do that. You can't get those. But when it comes to everything else, I just think it all, it's all about stretching teams out. Make them defend further than what they want to defend. And then it opens up these driving lanes. It opens up your post-ups. You get backdoor opportunities. Uh, you can get into that elbow action that Cal likes to run where he gives his four men someone. And well, you saw Jacob Toppin catch the ball, free throw line extended a few times, and drive it. Yeah, I see. I see five games this year. They held the opponent to sixty-six points or fewer and lost all of them. So that's just hard to do. <laughs> I would say with with the caliber of players Kentucky can recruit to not be able to to do that. But our, our uh, listeners almost lost this episode. My laptop almost died, and I don't think it would have converted the recording. That'd have been bad. We're so forty-eight we're, minutes in. So we're good now. <laughs> we're good now. Forty-eight minutes in. We better speed it up a little bit then. To, yeah, keep it we right have now. a couple of questions left here. Eric, I think I sent them to you. Yeah, so I see. Uh, I don't know who asked it. Here, Maybe I'll, I'll, you tell you. I'll tell you okay. real quick. I want to make sure. So this one came from Ryan Roberts. Do you want to read it? It was the one about Zegs. Yep. So uh, obviously we already touched on this, but do you think Zegs ends up in the portal slash UK? I don't know if he ends up there or not. I mean, I, I guess one thing I can say is I, I definitely think UK would have a great chance if he did go into the portal. And then he asked, opinion on Mintz coming back or leaving is there any truth to the Isaiah Jackson coming back stuff? And if Mintz comes back and we do get Zags, does UK look to add one more? If so, who would it be in your opinion? So let's break this question down, Sean. Let's start first with Mintz coming back. What do you think? I think Mintz is coming back. I would agree with that. Is there any truth to the Jackson coming back stuff? Sorry, if you had something else you wanted to add on Mintz, go uh, ahead. Just, you know, Kyle's story, which we will plug because yes. it was very good on the athletic. Kyle Tucker talked about the situations around – the three guys we haven't heard from, Davion Mintz, Isaiah Jackson, and Keon Brooks, spoke to all three fathers. Very, very good intel. Very, very good information on where those decisions stand right now. But of the three, the only reason Mintz wouldn't come back, Derek, is if he just didn't want to come back because everybody else kind of wants him to come back. 
Yeah, if he just if he just wants to move on and go play pro ball, then yeah, no one could fault him. But I mean, his parents even said in the story with Kyle that they'd like to see him come back. That that's what they're rooting for. And, and again, most likely to be honest, like it's probably because you know if Davion's going to play professional basketball, it, it won't be in this country, <laughs> most likely. So and they enjoyed the UK experience when they didn't even get a UK experience. They don't even know what the yeah. UK experience is. If they enjoyed that, how much are they going to enjoy a normal year? Yeah, get? yeah. For sure. So, yeah, I think he'll come back. Now, the Jackson stuff, again, I don't want to rip Kyle's whole story, but, like, uh, to summarize it. Well, first I want to start with this, Sean. I texted you the night that Kyle posted the tweet of Isaiah Jackson just chilling with the guys out at Woodland Park, hooping a little bit on on a weekday afternoon. The only thing I'll say about that, and it's what I thought then, and it doesn't mean he's coming back. You don't have to read any more than you want to into it. All I would say Isaiah Jackson hanging out at the park with some other UK guys just does not strike me as a guy who is totally all in on the NBA draft process. Because if he was, and he was absolutely for sure that that's what he wanted to do, he would be out training somewhere. That's my opinion. Yeah. It's uh, definitely interesting, right? While he's still there. Uh, still out, there yeah. out there playing. He, he was going full go and some pickup <laughs> on an outdoor court too. And, and then I'll say the, the other really interesting thing from Kyle's story um, without stealing the whole thing, like basically Isaiah Jackson's dad, Wesley, is using P.J. Washington's father as a resource through this process. So it seems to me like people who are very open-minded to this process, and that doesn't mean that Isaiah will ultimately decide to come back. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I mean, I haven't totally written it off. I guess that's how I'll say it. I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm also, you know, I think – even, you can go all the way back to the press uh, press release when it came out. Cal's quote saying he's very anxious to see how the process went about how excited he would be to coach him next year. So I, I think the door has kind of always been open there. And if he came back, I would say it would be the most surprising decision since, I don't know, Terrence Jones 10 years ago pretty much. <laughs> so it'd be very surprising. It'd be, it'd be a huge get and someone I hadn't really factored into the plans. But if he came back, I mean – that's that's obviously a huge deal. I mean, I think he has potential All American ability next year if he were to come back. But um, so yeah, the last last part of this question was was Minton's eggs together. Do you think UK would add one more? I don't. Probably not. I don't think so. I think, I think they would, would have enough it. guards at that point. Yeah, I think that would end it. We did have a question. This came in late last Friday night, so I almost overlooked it. This comes from Jack. And I, I just want to get to it because, Jack, I don't want to miss you on this one. So he sent this on March 26 at 1038. So this was a, literally a week ago. It was after we'd recorded last Friday's mailbag, so I didn't know maybe you wanted to be in that one or this one. He says, any chance UK tries to get Austin Reeves if when he gets in the portal? With Long Kruger retiring, might be something to look into. Austin declared for the draft on Wednesday, right, Derek? And he's not an agent, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so he won't be back in school. But I just wanted to make sure that I acknowledged that question. Sorry, Jack. I, I hadn't I hadn't even noticed that, or I would have DM'd you or something about it. Uh, one more here that I see, unless I'm missing one, and it comes from. Easter, oh, right? Sorry, we have two more. Yeah, we have uh, back to Final Four. In a lot of recent comments from basketball players, Brooks, Mintz, and Jackson. If two of those three come back, how does Cal not play three bigs again? Shibway, Collins, Jackson, Brooks, Hopkins, plus two guards. And then we're not even throwing in Toppin <laughs> in that. So let's just say it does happen. Let's say that they get one of Brooks or Jackson. 
that's what I would say. I do not think both those guys no. will be on next year's team. I don't think so either. So let's just say that they get one, and let's just go. Let's just go Keon Brooks for the fun of it. I don't honestly. I don't know which one they likely get back more. I mean, probably. Who would you say of the two, if they were going to get one? Jackson Fitz probably. Because Jackson could um, rotate alongside Collins and Shoeboy there. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Jackson's not there, like in my mind, Keon would play a four, but I don't know if that's what Cal sees. <laughs> Cal might think he wants to to be a three. I don't. I still no, think obviously, it's. Oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I still think like in terms of if I was having a bet on who I think would be like more likely, I still think Keon over Isaiah, just because I think Isaiah will hear. I think he'll just do a very good job in those combine settings. I think he'll probably get the guarantee that he's looking for, um, and I think he'll ultimately decide to stay. Whereas Keon, I mean, I. I could see Keon being the four next year, but a lot of that will depend on, I guess, who they add at point guard. I mean, if I would guess if they, I'll say this, I think it'll be point guard, Mintz, Grady. I think that'll be the one through three next year to start the year. Yeah, and speaking on Hopkins, I'm okay with him playing the three from what I've seen from a skill set with him. Obviously, that could change when I get to see him with my own two eyes at UK. But as of right now, I'm okay with that. But I would be fine if your four-five rotation included. Jacob Toppin, Damian Collins, Oscar Shubway, and either Isaiah Jackson, Keon Brooks. Like, I am perfectly fine if that's the way you rotate it. And at times, you let Keon and Toppin split some minutes before, or I'm okay if it's for a stretch if you go with one to at a three spot. It, I mean, obviously, foul trouble situations, whether it become you need a long defender there or something, I'm not all about just – throwing situational basketball to the side and game planning. I just don't want to see Kentucky get to a point to where they just put dead spots on the floor offensively, and then can, and then you wonder why they struggle to score. Like, that's the thing that gets me. You can't sit there and be like, wow, we're total, you know, crap offensively. Well, it doesn't help that you got three dudes out here that can't stretch the floor outside of 13 feet. Yeah. Yeah, I think for Keon, if he is, if he does come back and they're going to use him at the three, like, he's just got to become – like at least P.J. Washington level three-point shooter as a sophomore. I mean, he has to get a lot more consistent. And P.J. done that from the four spot. Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, he was – I just – yeah, I wouldn't be a fan of that. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. I wouldn't be a big fan of of Keon playing the three. I think if he's going to come back, I'd like to see him in the post being that stretch four type because I think it fits better, and I think the way he's going to shoot the ball – you know, I, I just don't want to see him as a – he needs to be the fourth option, I would say, when it comes to shooting um, from the outside. Uh, but if he is in a spot where he's in the corner or whatever and he's open, like whatever he can give you. And I'm I'm actually pretty curious to see Toppin. I, I think Toppin's shot, um, the way he knocks down those mid-range shots, it makes me think he's got a pretty good feel out there. I could almost see him developing a pretty good outside shot at some point. Maybe not this he year. Has to. Yeah, he he does have to for sure, but it almost makes me think he can do a decent job out. He didn't take many threes this year. Didn't really seem all that comfortable shooting yet. I, I just want to see a junior Jacob Toppin. I want Jacob to see how Toppin's game will be facing the basket. There's not yeah. going to be much back to the basket basketball from Jacob Toppin. Same thing with Keon Brooks. When you play, when your game is built around facing the basket, you have got to be able to shoot the basketball. Yeah, yeah. and and that's the thing that I want to see. Uh, from who, whichever one of those guys it is, if it's just Jacob Toppin or if it's both of them. Last question here. 
from K-Duck, in your opinion, who would work out well as the new UNC coach? They're, they're going to go with someone that's been involved with the program, whether it's a former player. I mean, look at it with Matt Doherty before Roy Williams. I mean, Dean Smith, Matt Doherty, Roy Williams. Is it Wes Miller? Is it Hubert Davis? I think those would be the front runners, right? Yeah, that, that, I'd be surprised if they don't hire either of those two. It seemed like Hubert's been there to be groomed for the job. And I, I, you know, it's, I'd say this, Sean, I think either one of those guys is a pretty big risk. I mean, just because. Darty didn't work got, out. Yeah, I mean, you got the Carolina bloodlines for sure. And at least Miller has some head coaching experience. As far as I know, Hubert doesn't, right? I mean, Hubert played, went to the TV, and then became an assistant, right? That was yeah. his path. Maybe he coached before he went on TV. I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, Hubert is. It's still weird for me to think he's even. I was just so used to him being on college game day for all those years. <laughs> so. You know, he's only 50 years old, though. He could be a guy if he succeeds. He could be there a long time. Uh, but then the question marks with Wes Miller. I mean, Wes has been at UNC Greensboro. He's a younger guy. I think he's 38. You know, he might, he's probably not even that old. No, he's there's probably no – no, wait, which team was he on? Was he um, on the first UNC team or the second? Yeah, he's 38. Okay, so, yeah, he was on the uh, on the 05 team then, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but he's never his his career record. I mean, you got to look at what it is. He's at UNC Greensboro. I, I think he's got a ton of potential, but we're talking about UNC potentially hiring a guy who's you know never won a tournament game, and it's the same way. Man, it's the same way with with Hubert. So it's just like you get this, and you know you want to keep it within the family. I get that, but that there are people who would argue that North Carolina is the very best coaching job in college basketball. Yeah, so I just kind of wonder what kind of candidate, yeah, like what kind of candidate pool could you get? Would you, to me, it's almost like you would settle just because you felt like you had to keep it within. We've talked about pigeonholing all today. Do you want to pigeonhole yourself to keep it in the bloodline? Yeah, I mean You're it's right worked out Dorn. in the past, but Roy well, Williams obviously a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, yeah. Who, now, who came available? The, the athletic story on Roy Williams and him getting the job at Kansas was one of the best stories that I have read, and I recommend you to go find that story on the Athletic. Um, I think it was written a few weeks ago, honestly, after he won, after he passed Bobby Knott, and then it's been, uh, you know, updated and stuff where he retired yesterday. But this this is what makes Kentucky the best job, in my opinion. There's they don't do bloodline at UK, and there's five coaches that have won national championships at UK, outside of any bloodline to the program. That well, obviously Joe B. Hall was in the program, but Rick Pitino, Tubby Smith, and, I mean, this just the success that they have over the course is what makes it the top job. But when you're talking history, too, in North Carolina, the Dean Smith Center, Chapel Hill, Tobacco Road, that's special. And, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah there's ahead. a lot to that, Derek, when it comes to that. That's one of the greatest jobs in basketball coaching. Still put Kentucky above it, but it's one of the greatest jobs. I would lean – I understand. I think Hubert Davis is, is like the favorite. To, to give Wes Miller more credit than what it was, yes, he's – I don't really hold not winning a tournament game against him. He's at UNC Greensboro. Like there's a certain limit on your program. He's got 10 years of head coaching experience, though, at UNC Greensboro versus – I, mean, I don't think Hubert's ever been a head coach, but I will go double-check just to make sure. <laughs> he played in the NBA for a while. Um, as a coach, he has 
since 2012, he's he's been an assistant. So he's been an assistant for almost a decade at UNC. But no, no, no head coaching experience from what I can see. So it just seems weird to me that you would want to – I would hope if I, if I were a North Carolina fan, I would want to at least kick the tires on some of these up-and-coming – like Nate Oates. Is Nate Oates interested? Uh, could you – I don't know miraculously like i don't know why not give billy donovan or brad stevens a call i get it those guys probably aren't going to leave their jobs but why not try i mean if that's one of the few jobs you could probably get someone to at least listen right i mean i know brad stevens had the whole connection to indiana but like he might look at north carolina and be like man i could coach one of the greatest basketball programs in in college basketball i could have that opportunity if i'm not happy here and again i don't think that will happen but i just wouldn't I guess I'd be unhappy if I were a North Carolina fan if those are the only two guys I consider just because they played basketball in North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And then the last question we have is from Chris Easterling, right? That's the last oh, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. We did have that one in the – So let's listen real quick. Last. Uh, read it. Chris says, not UK-related, but more of a college hoops topic. You guys are a bit young, but Gonzaga reminds me of Tark era, UNLV, minus the scandals. Elite program, elite coach, elite talent, just in a mid-major league. Problem is, Zags don't have football, so no way to move up. Thoughts? My thoughts have been. No, I thought this last, is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very good point. And my thoughts for the last few days, talking to some friends of mine, I would love to see Gonzaga move to the Pac 12. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And like, like, that's the only one that makes sense, right? You're not going to have them move to a Power Five, the Big 12, and travel to West no, Virginia no, no. or places like that. But if they ever were able to move to a Power Five, I would like to see what they would do with a, a grueling schedule that just beats you up in conference play. Not knocking anything that Gonzaga has done. They're clearly, to me, the most talented team in this NCAA tournament in the Final Four. Who knows? Yeah, By the time we record an episode Tuesday morning, they might be the undefeated national champion. But what they've done is great. But is it ever going to be from everyone? Like if Kentucky had won that title in 2014-2015, undefeated, with the schedule they played, with the teams they beat on their way to a title, you couldn't have dismissed it if you were their biggest critic. Yeah. You're not going to dismiss Gonzaga winning a title, but is as much weight going to be put into the undefeated run? Because here's the thing. They've not been the billboard of ESPN, on you know, pursuit of perfection and stuff like that. But when it comes to the program comparison, obviously I was two years old, three years old when all that was going on with Tark and with UNLV. Uh, and the runs that they had there. But Gonzaga, obviously what Mark Few has built there, Derek, it's you can't dismiss how great it's been and how good he is as a coach. I think he could go to any college basketball program right now and win national championships and go to Final Fours. That's how good of a coach I think he is. Players love him. He can recruit. But that is the one thing that's going to hold them back, I think, from being able to move, and I don't know if they ever will move because they don't have football. (sighs) No, they don't, and I mean... And would you want to move if you're Mark Few? Well, that's what I was about to say. No other team, and and again, so both things can be true. They are a phenomenal program. They recruit at an elite level. It's also true to say they're never... So BYU was 17th in Ken Palm this year. That was the best team besides Gonzaga in the conference. So you have one other top 25 caliber team. Every other Power 5 league or Big East even, like you're going to have more than that. You have to compete against... They, the way they recruit, the style of play they have, they are going to be a shoe-in most years, I would say, to be a one seed. So your path to a title every year, uh, or at least a one or two seed, I mean, it's going to take a total collapse of that program for them to not be seeded very high every year. Like, they are positioned – we don't talk about this all day, but, like, 
to me, Sean, if they finish this off, they're they're kind of positioned to kind of run college basketball for the next they few are. years. They the are. The way they're recruiting, the way that they, you know, get talked about with some transfers, like you're just not going to have many guys who can slow them down. And this is only going to be accelerated, the players that they have and the things that they're doing. People are going to want to play in that system. And uh, well, he's definitely got it rolling. I just, yeah, I mean, I think the Pac-12 would be – they would compete. Right, that's the thing. I think if you put them in another conference, I, yeah, I think they'd be one of the best – obviously they'd be one of the best teams in any league. Uh, I just don't know, yeah, that – it would be good for college basketball as a whole if one of their best teams could, like, be more visible <laughs> for the whole year because you don't really hear about Gonzaga come January. And then and Mark Few's at the core of it. Yeah. If Mark Few ever leaves, you know what Gonzaga does then? It's done. Yeah. That's and a good point, too. Look at, look at Greg Marshall and what they did at Wichita State. Is it still happening? Nope. Not at that level. And it, yeah. and it went down before he even got yes. fired. And then you look at VCU with Shaka Smart going to a Final Four, the runs that they were having there. John Calipari at Memphis. Has Memphis ever gotten back to what John wow. Calipari had? And it, I don't think it ever will. So that's Mark Few. You, you're it, right. I mean, it's it's Mark Few. Yeah. And when it comes to Blue Bloods, I saw a graphic last year as we wrapped this up. They were talking about Blue Bloods, and they had Gonzaga in the Blue Blood. It was just on ESPN, I'm pretty sure. And I'm like, how can you be a Blue Blood when you have not even won a national championship? But yeah, I mean, what he's about to do, not. if he wins this thing this weekend, with the class he has coming in next, if they get and then if you get Chet and you get all those pieces, yikes, look out because that's going to be the team. And I'm I'm hoping and begging. If you wanted to schedule Gonzaga on a year where you had your worst team, go schedule them on a year where you have a good team. Let's go Kentucky Gonzaga. Let's send Kentucky to the kennel. Let's bring Gonzaga to Rupp Arena. So the, that would be a heck of a matchup that I'd like to I, watch. I didn't realize this. They've made the tournament every single year under Few. They have. They've never missed the tournament. Yeah. So obviously last year got canceled, but no, they're, they're dominant. I mean, very easily could have won the 2017 title. Felt like they had a good. I mean, back 2015, man, they get beat by the national champion Duke. I mean, if Kyle Wiltshire comes up with a big play there at the end of that game, maybe they win. No, they're they're a great program, Chris. Good question. Um, I don't know if stuck is the way to say it because they're doing pretty pretty well what they're doing, but yeah, I, I don't know that they're going to be that appealing to to bigger league. So I'm taking this right now as we wrap up here. Is Brad Calipari got a coaching job because he tweeted the legacy continues dot, dot, dot with a blue heart emoji in a basketball. Uh, and it wouldn't be a playing legacy. It's a coaching legacy. I wonder if he's got an assistant job, maybe a grad assistant for some kind of a, something like that maybe. Could be. I don't know. I have to get up with old Brad. We'll, we'll see yeah, what happens there. <laughs> we will. But this has been another exciting episode. This probably will be our longest episode ever. We're, we're over an hour and ten minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. But we we enjoy the mailbag. Thank you all so much for submitting questions. Continue to add to the mailbag. Uh, we will do – pretty soon we'll do a mailbag, Derek, when all of this is finished. Not just a Friday mailbag. We'll do a basketball-only mailbag to talk about this roster when everything is kind of into place. We'll see what happens with the portal over the coming days. Uh, but everyone have a good weekend. We'll be here if there's any breaking news that happens in the next 48 to 72 hours. Have a great weekend. Make it out to the Butcher's Pub. Stay safe. Uh, he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 